and breaking an Argentine rule by celebrating our birthday early, welcome to Kanda Pod. It's episode 207 of the Internet's finest Argentine football podcast. Uh, We're going to be five years old on Friday. We're recording on Wednesday. This will be going online on Thursday. In Argentina, it's very bad luck to say happy birthday to somebody uh, before their actual birthday. But we're not. Mostly we're not Argentine. Uh, One of us is tonight. So uh, we don't care. So happy birthday, us. Well done, everybody. And thank you very much for joining us on this quest. I'm Sam Kelly. And this week, um, I am joined by the token Argentine of the evening, Andres Bruckner. Hello, thank you for inviting me. I don't care either about the, this thing, superstition of uh, not saying happy birthday before it is. So, it's okay. Happy Very birthday. good to hear. Good. Um, by English Dan. Hello and welcome. By Peter. Hello. And by a very special guest who, on hearing that Handapod was five years old this week, uh, insisted on flying out specially for the occasion. It's Tim Vickery. You know when my birthday is? When is it, Tim? May the 25th. That's a day that might, uh, might resound yeah. with yeah. certain Argentines. It's also the birthday of Daniel Passarella. And of yeah. Seba Garcia, our erstwhile You're contributor. Yeah, yeah. And River Plate as well. Um, it's a very special day. It is, very yeah. for, for Argentine football fanatics, and indeed, as Tim says, Seba Garcia, Seba, first place, of course. Yeah. Importance. <laughs> Uh, Tim, while you're here, have you got any less important appointments than, than this one? Um, I, I don't have too many things to boast about in these days of mine, but one of them is that there have only been six World Cup qualifiers between Brazil and Argentina, and I've been in the stadium for all six of them, so I had to come down to make it seven out of seven. So uh, despite the fact that I'm not a big fan of the stadium, um, always seems to be windy in there, and you always seem to be miles away from the pitch at a strange angle. It's an unmissable occasion. It's my favourite rivalry in world football, in international football, Brazil and Argentina. There's no imperial or real, there's no real military thing between it. It's just all about who's the best at football and I think that's really healthy and and, and something to celebrate. And we will be getting on to that a little bit later. First of all, obviously, a word from our sponsors. They've supported us during most of this last year of Hand of Pod. It's the Argentina Independent, who are a wonderful source of English language news, uh, photo essays, historical stuff, cultural pieces and whatnot. You can read them free of charge on argentinaindependent.com or follow them on Twitter, Argentina Indy. That's Argentina I-N-D-Y. Thank, them, thank you very much to them for uh, what we're drinking tonight, which, because it's our birthday, is wine rather than fernet, because we felt like splashing out a little bit. So thank you very much to them. Um, thank you also to two men without whom the podcast wouldn't be quite the same. And I want to mention them now while everybody's still listening at the beginning of this fifth anniversary episode. Uh, Nick Ball, my best friend, who composed our theme tune, and Doug Hart, um, who spent the $200 that this very nice microphone cost to give us a proper mic to record on. No offence to your optic to phone down. That was a um, beautiful piece of machinery. It, it was indeed, and it served us well. Still going well, well. Uh, but, if you, uh, if you use the other day, and it's, yeah. 
it must be said that the podcast sounds a lot better um, on this one now. So thank you to both of them. Your contributions, although neither of you have ever actually been on the podcast, um, we wouldn't be the same without you. So thank you to them as well. And now, drum roll please, as I get ready to read out the results for the last time in 2015. 15 results um, from the matches that took place last weekend. Well, I thought we will focus only on, on tomorrow's match. Oh, come on. Uh, we've, we've got a little bit of rounding up of the domestic stuff to do, first of all, unfortunately. But here we go. Lanús 2, San Miento 1 on Friday night. And then on Saturday, Defensa Justicia and Godoy Cruz drew 1-1. Colón beat Gimnasia La Plata 2-1. San Martín de San Juan uh, beat Arsenal de Sarandí 1-0. Olimpo versus Banfield finished 2-1 to Banfield. Estudiantes 2, Union 0. On Sunday afternoon... Uh, River Plate lost 2-0 at home to Newell's Old Boys uh, Let's Go de Rafaela lost 1-0 at home to San Lorenzo Tigre and Racing drew 0-0 Rosario Central beat Boca Juniors 3-1 in a match that really passed off without very much incident at all uh, that's sarcasm Independiente won Venice Southfield 0 and on Monday the relegation deciding matches now who could have predicted this two draws involving Huracan and Tempele. Huracan at home to Belgrano, Tempele at home to Argentinos. Mm. And Nueva Chicago, this one actually was slightly surprising, managed to beat Quilmes 2-1. I'd like that to say means... I predicted all three of those results in the Argentine pools. Yeah. So that was, that was good. Very That's well done. I, yeah. think I, I think Mystic Sam got two of those because I thought that uh, Quilmes were going to draw with Chicago. <laughs> and um, obviously to polish off the weekend and indeed the season, it seems fitting really uh, that the championship ended with Crucero del Norte losing a match. Uh, 2-0 at home to Aldo Civi in this case normally we go through the big five first of all but I'd like to talk about Monday's relegation battles to begin with Um, mostly because there has been a lot of uh, I'm sure very ill-founded speculation that uh, Huracan Belgrano and Tempele Argentinos might have been pre-arranged draws the the own goal which helped Huracan get back into that game which I've still not seen have you not seen it? oh it's fantastic it's a cross in from the right and it just hits Chica Perez in the box. Hits him and goes straight in. I don't think it was a fix because he couldn't have done that even if he tried. It was so perfectly kind of innocuous and, and stupid that if he'd actually tried to put it in, it would never have come off. So I'm going to give him the benefit of that. But do you not think that if he hadn't scored that, then you know another goal might have happened at some point? I don't go in for conjecture, Sam. You know. How can we? How can we? Know? I think the problem is in both cases. Anyway, is once the scores are level, at some point, yeah, later that's on, it. Once the scores are level, they're just like, ah, well, I mean, Akindino's Stempeli, there wasn't a shot on goal in the whole game. I have a strange theory, which is, of course, it's not serious, but could fit with Argentine football because mm-hmm. I thought, well, Chiqui Perez was the one who scored the own goal. He's a Boca supporter, and he played for Boca. And if Huracan lost that match, would have meant. Them uh, having to play against uh, Chicago for a tiebreaker or a decider, okay, and that would mean them them being more tired to face second leg of Sudamericana against River. <laughs> of course, I I, I, I admit it's, it's crazy. It's not uh, perhaps quite serious, but uh, well, in in this football, could could be something to to think about, but. but so what, what you're saying is that Chiqui Perez definitely scored that own goal in order to make it slightly Not on purpose, but well, he wasn't so... so I, if I score an own goal, I am very, very sad, and I don't think he was. 
that's the only thing, perhaps. Yeah. Tim, did you manage to follow any of this from from Brazil? No, not 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 the relegation. Um, and in in general, I haven't done a great deal with with uh, the Argentine club season this year. Um, starting off with, with just a revolt about just having so many games, and I thought there's no way you've got a continent to cover. There's no way you can keep track of of, of so many games. So uh, I, I was in in revolt about it, and 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 got more involved towards the end of the year, really because it seems to me that in contrast with Brazil, you've got a really interesting crop of young coaches coming through in Argentina, which I think is is perhaps from, uh, please feel free to disagree, you all know much, much more about this than I do, Um, but this seems to me to be about Argentine domestic football, by far the best thing that's happening at the moment, a a generation of young coaches who are ex-players. Um, I'll go along with that. It was something we definitely talked about before, possibly the last time you were on the podcast where we had a much different uh, perspective. It was uh, Ozzy Dan who always made this point, as we often repeat, you should start charging for for these quotes we do about this old old group of coaches, Russo, Basile, Bianchi, all these guys who can just keep doing the rounds and they go from one club to another and probably start from about... A year, two years ago, kind of those guys have started to step aside, and and you've had these new guys, new guys come in, and yeah, it's good to see them all come through. I know Arrobarena hasn't exactly been uh, the most popular guy. There's you know you speak to a lot of Boca fans, and they're not completely sold on him. The same. Where did he pick or, the thing up from? You know, yeah, he picked it up this from, is what, from the floor. Tim, you know as well as anyone, <laughs> South American football fans have extremely short memories. Yeah. You know. All that matters is it's Boca and Boca can't just win. They should be thrashing teams every week and um, playing champagne football. Um, but he's done very well. And you can say the same about Gachardo, who, who came in with River. He had a bit of a, a better base to work from, but still a team that was really, really not very pleasing to the eye under under Ramon Diaz. And he's done very well. Coca in Racing. Uh, all these guys. Um, Pellegrino as well, he's a little bit older and with a bit more experience, but he's Cudet. done wonders in Cudet, another one. Like Almeida, who was Almeida, uh, yeah. with no mm. uh, Almeida, the great players, he was there to, 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 to try to make them play a decent football mm. independently of the results, which were good, bad, good, bad. You're talking about the preacher man. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that... In that case, I, I wanted to get onto this a little later, but since we're talking about the managers now, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up now. Is that I, I read something I can't remember who said it on Twitter a week or two ago, um, which I kind of agree with, which is that it's not always very obvious in the Argentine league uh, what what the kind of system is. So sometimes, if you're trying to um, Evaluate a player, let's say who's, who's going off to Europe, and we're not going to mention Funes Mori. No, let's please, right. please. We might get onto him later. As, as long well. as we say it in a high-pitched, screeching Scouse <laughs> accent, Funes Mori, Funes Mori. No, please talk about Funes Mori because I'm still but trying if, to work it out. But if we're trying to evaluate, I mean, particularly for instance, I've, I've been getting a lot of questions in the last few days about various Vélez midfielders, Lucas Romero being the, the most obvious one, and it's really difficult to sort of say this kid's promising or isn't promising because. There's not much of a system. I mean, with Vélez particularly at the moment, they're also just what on shit, earth has so. happened, happened to that club? So that's another. Uh, Bastida's coming back. That'd be interesting to see him as a yeah, coach. Yeah, very. And it's his first managerial job. 
Um, so in fact, you know, he might in six months' time, he might be another one of these promising youngsters who's coming up in the world of management. But um, it sometimes seems like there's not an awful lot of emphasis on on the system in Argentina. It's all about winning the midfield battle. I was at Argentinos against Olimpo a couple of weeks ago, and okay, this is not two of the best. You're teams not, yeah, you're not be picking said. the best of the bunch to to judge, but yeah. But trying to write anything kind of or, or think about that game in a in, in a tactical way at all was a nightmare because it's just clashing in the midfield all the time. And I was brought to mind of, of what um, referee Horacio Alisondo said, something he said to me when, when I interviewed him, which was that you have to actually adjust your refereeing technique to that. You've, you've got to be much more aware of the fact that this is going to be happening. Whereas in the Premier League, you, you'd need to be much quicker, the ball moves from, from bit to bit, much more, much more quickly, and there's a lot more action around the boxes. In Argentina, it's all in the midfield. And I think it kind of suffocates any really um, clear thought out tactical thinking as it were because you've got talented Argentine managers abroad Pochettino at Spurs Simeone uh, at Atletico and, and, and so on there's nothing very um, it, it's, it's not clear from watching the Argentine league where those ideas come from I think at times well a lot of these players have played in Europe haven't they mm. so and I love the fact that they're ex-players I love that because you know the ex-player can take the buck as a pundit I love the fact that these ex-players and most of them were not great players were they usually the best coaches and not the greatest players I've been amazed by Gajardo amazed by him because he was nearly a great player wasn't he he was a very 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 talented number 10 type type player and I've been amazed to the extent that he obviously thinks about the game um, but a question to you to, to come to come back on that about the, the, the midfield friction how much of that do you think is, is, is down to reduce quality of the players with poor circulation of the ball? And how much of that is poor pitches? The pitches in particular... And it's, it's a fundamental thing. Yeah. The pace at which the ball moves. And the, this might be a cliche, and, it, and this might be a, an example of confirmation bias, but I think that a, a, a typical box-standard Argentine midfielder, central midfielder in what we would have called up until a year ago the Primera, so the top, two, the top 20 clubs in, in the country. The average one of those would have not a bad touch, not a bad... They're not always necessarily very aware of where their teammates are. That's, that's one thing that makes a lot of difference, how frequently do they look around the pitch. Um, and that, for instance, is why Matthias Kranovita stands out for me. He, he's always aware of where a teammate is. It's not so much that he's better at passing or better at first touch or any of that stuff. Um, but, um, I mean, it, it certainly could be. It, it's scrappy and they, they get less time on the ball as well because of it so is it the chicken or the egg I guess as well I wonder as well if it hasn't if it's kind of um, if it's not kind of a hangover from this real results orientated kind of safety first strategy that's um, kind of prevailed in Argentina for, um, for a long time at least the last five years since I've been watching it which has of course led to pretty much every team in the league using the, the double five Mm. the two central midfielders um, well, which, is great, which is great because it protects the defence you've got two guys plugging the gaps it keeps you but it also means when you're coming out of the defence you've got two guys whose first job isn't to, to push forward it's, it's to stop and, and that's so, part I mean, of the which guys I mean have you got these guys perhaps you know the more natural distributors the more natural runners they're, they've been pushed out wide they've been pushed out front I mean if you look at how many excellent wingers or Mm. Second, second forwards or forwards, Argentina um, are developing. 
uh, can't be a coincidence. I mean, uh, if those guys had been told at 12 years old, look, you're going to play in the middle and and you're going to be like Redondo, you're going to spray it all over the place, you're going to go box to box. Like, who to say that? The likes of Correa or, or these guys couldn't have done it. I mean, yeah. I think it's got a lot I to think. do with that. The best players are being pushed way up front and, and the filler are, are seeing most of the action in the middle. Someone on that, along that, on that point who surprised me this season is Lanzini because mm. he was pushed forward and, and as a result saw him as this mm. kind of quite slight number 10 with River. When he moved to West Ham, I think I'll hold my hands up and think, oh, I'm not sure if he's going to really set the Premier League alight. I don't think um, anybody did. It was yeah, really I didn't want to put words in difficult his Difficult to put a very um, um, convincing case for him. But suddenly... He's, he's playing and he's not even really playing as number 10 necessarily he's playing and, and I, I think I read a quote from Bilic saying that he saw him as a sort of Luka Modric type player mm-hmm. um, and, and that's certainly a point that sort of goes along with what Dan was saying it's, it's been a curse of Argentine and Brazilian football I think in, in, in the last few since the, the globalisation mm-hmm. thing because you get a player and everyone around him has an interest in selling him everyone he becomes a commodity so what do you do you push him close to goal where his individuality is going to score goals or something uh, and um, you, you put him in, in positions often in which at the highest level he's incapable of shining because he's not good enough or he's not quick enough where if, if you had him a little bit deeper to associate the quality of the collective play uh, would be greatly enhanced I think that players in, in part are to blame of this because uh, they as long as they stay at the team they play for in any almost any position one clear example I think is Camilo Machada from Uruguay playing at River Plate he has played at, as a right back as a right uh, midfielder as a left midfielder and oh yes he can work no he can't work the same way at any position and and, and they a lot of players have said a lot of times uh, uh, as long as the team uh, needs me I will play in, as a, even as a goalkeeper, if, if they need me, so it's some, it's fifty-fifty. I think it's of course the, the needs of the team that they need him not as a as an enganche, but as a second striker or, or whatever. And from them, there is a bit of, of this letting the, 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 the teams or the coaches to. But that possibly has more to do with the fact that all Argentine teams, even the likes of River, Boca, are working on such tight budgets. They have to throw wingers at times back into right back or whatever I think it's, it's hard I mean the I player can't exactly turn around and say look yes. no you want to play right back fuck off yes. I, I, I heard a discussion here on radio they, they were trying to put Banega Ever Banega who will pra- probably will likely will be in a certain lineup tomorrow mm-hmm. against Brazil what, where does he play what is his position it's a, he's not an enganche but he's not the number five he said he was for Boca in 2007, wasn't he? I, I remember because yes. I, I, I fell in love with him yes. at the, the under 20s. He the, passes the ball. He passes the he ball shoots. very well. What what does he does? So that they had to find a place for him in the team. So and the best place they could find was as a number five. And he he doesn't he's slow. He doesn't mark particularly well, but but he's a beautiful passer of the ball. So he's a player you'd much rather have in the team somewhere. Find a place for him, please. I'm anxious to see him tomorrow. I, I, I don't understand why, how Lucas Billy always gets a game. 
but uh, Banega would, would, would be in my team. It's a shame Joel's not here this evening. Uh, we might be meeting up with him tomorrow after the match, but because uh, he's a big fan of Biglia, yeah. and I'm sure that he would leap to, to Biglia's defence at this point. I, I like Biglia as well. Yeah, I, I think I've never seen much from him to. I'm not a huge fan of a midfield three, which at the moment they're talking about it being Biglia, Mascherano, Banega. I think that's a bit overkill, but as I say, we'll get on to to Argentina v Brazil a little later. Um, sticking with the domestic stuff, just for a little bit longer, obviously the championship is, well, the championship's over, the season isn't quite over yet because we've got the playoffs, which we will go into in more detail when they're about to be played, which is uh, in two The weekend of the 22nd. So that's in a week and a half's time, isn't it? So, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so next week's episode of Hand and Pot, basically. Um, but uh, now that the championship phase of the season is over... I thought that I'd have a little bit of a, a chat about who we think our best 11 have been. And I've sketched one out with a bit of help from Peter before everybody else turned up. Um, so I'm going to read out my, and sort of Peter's, but mostly my best 11. That sounds then, like a better plan than making us think of one of the top of No, well, precisely. And then we can sort of debate it and people can throw in other names. So in goal, I've got Sebastián Torrico of San Lorenzo, who've conceded fewer goals than anybody else. And uh, that's the main reason, really. Plus, I didn't want to put Orion in because he's a twat. Um... <laughs> Across the defence, from right to left, I've got Gino Peruzzi, of Boca, Daniel Diaz, also of Boca, uh, Javier Pinola, Rosario Central, and Emmanuel Mas, of San Lorenzo. I have a midfield two of Juan Mercier and um, Francisco Cerro. Francisco Put a Cerro. player in there for you, no? That one. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> behind uh, three of... Uh, I've forgotten Benitez's first name. Martin. Martin. Thank Martin. you. Martin Benitez. Carlos Tevez and Lucas Celarachan that we were really struggling for that left wing spot um, and obviously I think the only player who's just incontestable on this 11 is Marco Ruben up front um, possibly Mercier in midfield as well because I did see sort of a, a couple of stats tweeted during the week saying that without really standing out amazingly he finished with by far the highest pass completion rate of any of the midfielders mm-hmm. sort of central midfielders in the league um, and knitted everything to well, uh, together very well and obviously shielded San Lorenzo's defence well but really Ruben is the only player who you'd look at there and just say that without a shadow of a doubt he's incontestable possibly Tevez as well I mean he dragged Boca over the line mm. but um, any thoughts on that 11? and, and, and uh, Chacho Caldet as manager that sounds like a good I think no one can discuss both of those players were the best in, in this 30 team tournament Perhaps uh, I, I, I won't discuss, but in, uh, try to face uh, Mercier with perhaps, I don't know, Aton Gil Romero from Estudiantes is another one I like mm-hmm. in that position specifically, but then I think the other, the other players are, 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 were the best in this, in, in this tournament. Racing wise, I'll go for Awed over Cerro, to be honest. He was, okay, yeah. he was much stronger over the, over the course of the season. True. Um, yeah, bowl if you're feeling generous, but I think he's, he's not going to edge Ruben out. Yeah. no, but he can play on the left, le- on the right, on the left. On he the can right. play anywhere. It's just quality play. I think when, when we were discussing it, the point that we made is that over the whole, Lolo, uh, Lolo, Lolo at the back would have been a shot as well. Speaking from a Racing point of view, mm-hmm. Ruben is probably the only one of the only players that I can think of who's had a consistent from. Round one to the end of the season. Yeah, I mean Ruben has finished obviously top scorer, but by quite a distance as well. He ended the season with twenty-one goals and the second top scorer in the league. Anybody? Leandro Fernandez or Godecruz? 
No, it's no? Quilmes Claudio Biela who scored 14. No, you can't have him. If you put so, him in the uh, first team, I'm walking it. So <laughs> Ruben scored 50% more goals than the guy in second. Um, Leandro Fernandez finished uh, third with, with 13 goals. Ah, Drupi Gomez in Quilmes yeah. not a bad shot as well. Yeah, yeah, at least in the second half of the season, he was very strong. What about this? Isn't this isn't an, inf- an informed opinion at all? But I'll, I'll merely throw it into the court and speculation to see what will emerge. Left side of midfield that you said was a problem position. Uh, Lochervo of, of of central. What do we think of that? He has played uh, only three or four matches or five, uh, but yeah, he he has been put into the team and he has good me- he he responded very well. Lochelso. Lochelso. Yes. 13 appearances. Ah, 13. Oh, I, thought this, he was that's, I think a lot of those were off the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Came on for five minutes. I saw him just two or three times at the end of the season, and it was. But I, I, Serbi, I love a left foot. Uh, Serbi was injured because he has had a lot of. Uh, yeah, that, Serbi started very well, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, well, no. Not, I don't know. Really he's finished with 27 appearances. Ah. So yeah, but he, he, missed, he did weeks. miss that period when Lucas came. Into the side, um, and then came, and then got his and place back. Place, yeah. um, I think one thing that this underlined though was that there was no real. When Peter and I were trying to, to sort of scrabble something together, there wasn't much of any sort of argument that these players all had to come from the top sort of five or six teams. There's, and that's one thing that I found a bit weird is that watching the top five at the end of the championship, um, Boca Juniors, San Lorenzo finished second, uh, Central, Racing, Independiente. Mm-hmm. Belgrano finished sixth. I mean, watching all of those teams, there was something that you could cotton on to. In Boca's case, it was mostly just that they really, really didn't want to lose this match and they were going to get the win, whatever what. The others mostly played fairly decent football. Yeah, um, I'd say consistency was a big difference. Yeah. I think those top six teams were the only teams that showed any sort of consistency over the course of the year. Like, you knew at home they were probably going to win uh, and away, say, they're going to get possibly a point or maybe they'll nick a win you know Yeah. but you could kind of predict the results more or less the rest of the league was a lottery an absolute so, lottery and so what I was thinking was that it's, it's weird because obviously expanding the league to 30 teams has meant that the bottom of the league has just been almost unimaginably bad um, but it doesn't appear to have done the standard at least in the top sort of third to fifth of the league too much harm no. Or has it just been that they've been playing against slightly more really dreadful teams, so it, been, it's much easier to look I think, good when I think you're playing think the counterpoint is that instead of having a short season, they had 30 games with the same team, mostly the same coach at mm-hmm. the top of the league, and they got used to each other. They also had their transition tournament where there weren't great changes, let's say, from one tournament to another. So we're just seeing more kind of what a settled team with solid tactics and and a, and a settled group of players can do which we haven't seen for a long time in Argentina that's a very good point um, I do think as well though that the fact that say a third of your fixture list is against poor sides who probably shouldn't even be in the top flight means for a club like Boca or any of the clubs who are in the uh, Libertadores or the Sudamericana it was a lot easier to juggle their fixtures yeah. because Perhaps at the weekend they're playing Cristelo del Norte, for example. And okay, well, we can put out a reserve side in the league and and focus. They didn't have to balance quite so much as they may have done if the the whole league had been stronger. Yeah, and Cristelo del Norte, uh, hats off to them for consistency because they actually managed to lose more matches than Boca won. Um, they 
it, the whole last half of the season, in the last 15 matches, they've claimed one point. Um, <laughs> and lost the other 14. Uh, they've lost 22 games and they won three all year. It's. I think they could it's be looking. Bringing endorsements. They could be looking at a swift plummet down down the leagues now. It is worth saying that the three teams immediately above them in the championship table, Atletico de Rafaela, Arsenal de Sarandí, and Vélez Sarsfield, are all teams who were not promoted at the beginning of the year. Um, so arguably, these teams who clearly aren't good enough to be in the Primera aren't, you know, just the promoted sides. Um, Atletico were looking pretty bad last year Arsenal were already looking pretty bad in the second half of last year Vélez had fallen off a cliff as, as Tim mentioned earlier and um, that as we've sort of said before has I think got a lot to do with just the lack of A. the lack of experience in the team and also B. the fact that the two or three players they've got who do have experience have set absolutely appalling examples for I mean Kubera getting sent off in every match and Leandro Somoza just generally kicking people and not being all that good and uh, Caraglio's really the only one who has retained any dignity, and that's just by being pretty rubbish, rather as opposed to just being yeah, rubbish and an outright dirty bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is fair to say that it was unfair Chicago for Chicago to have been relegated, or, or because no, you say that, but they didn't win a single game in their first eighteen matches. Mm. So yes. 19, they won the twentieth. They won the twentieth game. Yeah. Nineteen matches. But yeah. then at the end, the end, they <laughs> have been relegated for only one point of difference. Mm. It's really hard for them, but yeah, yeah. It was a heroic um, effort from Chicago towards the end, and I would have liked to see them stay up because there are uh, particularly a few of the staff at, at one of my local bars are, um, are Chicago fans and they're very nice people. But um, I, ultimately, they they they'd have got relegated. You know, they got relegated because they were rubbish. Uh, <laughs> this is one thing I think where the promedio has almost um, ceased to mean very much, don't they, with a thirty-team league because. Crucero went down after being rock bottom at the table and, and Chicago admittedly wouldn't have gone down in the championship season with only two teams going down but they still it's difficult to say they would have added an awful lot to the Primera I would assume that Alejandro Cagliadli is going to get a go at the Primera next season yeah well, of course so he came on played fantastically well. in the last couple of months but only when they worked out that he wasn't a midfielder he was a striker yeah. and he started scoring twice Four times in every game. Yeah, he let's just have a very quick look at this. He's got twenty-two appearances and scored eleven goals, and I suspect no, at least that about six of them eight or nine of those games. at least have been yeah. In the or last four against Neil as well. Yeah, yeah four, <laughs> you know, obviously yeah, four, four against Neil in the third from last match. Um, any other odds and ends to? Well, we know you, we know the identity of one of the one of the two teams that will oh, be joining us next year. I spent. I've, yes, we do. Right, yeah. Promotion. Which, is, I haven't told my girlfriend yet because she's just going to get angry. And who is it, Dom? Explain and, why first of all, and then. <laughs> it's Atlético Tucumán, the arch rivals of San Martín de Tucumán, which have the allegiance of all my girlfriend's family. There we go. But they walked the league, and it was, it was pretty emotional stuff up in, up in the north. Like, I think they won. Like five nil the last game to yeah. to really march into the Primera. Yeah, so they had a funny. There was a funny episode. Um, a player I can't remember his name off the top of my head uh, got subbed. He took off his shirt, uh, gave it to his girlfriend who was standing just right behind the bench. You know, lovely moment, touching. Goes and sits down, gra- grabs a beer, puts it on. He's sitting in the bench. Referee comes over, gives him a second yellow card, and sends him off. 
for taking a shirt off. No, yeah, for taking a shirt off. There's no room for sentiment in this game. I remember an incident when I was still living in England, but shortly after I started blogging about Argentine football at Newell's, I can't remember who they were playing, when there was some kind of solidarity with the fans. And after a match, they all wandered over and took their shirts off and threw them And they booked every single player. And the ref wandered over and booked 13 players. And for something like seven of them, it was their fifth yellow card of the season, so they were all suspended for the next game. Won't they be able to play the first match of the... No, it'll or, be suspended. There is a still a, what, a match in... Yeah, there is. still a match in uh, La Vida, you know. Yeah, so they'll have a day off and then he'll come back. Uh, Let's go to Kuman have got uh, Boko Nidos away in their last week, uh, last match. They already um, are, they don't give two shots. No, exactly. Overall, they're 13 without defeat and they've gone 23 games at home without loss, mm-hmm. which is the whole of this season, plus the last couple of matches. The Monumental is a fortress out there. So, well done, Atletico Tucumán. Are, are you seeing, with this expanded first division, are you seeing decentralisation of Argentine football? No. Um, this year, the idea, obviously, was to precisely that in the Primera. It's had that effect in the second division, um, I think is that this is what a lot of people were saying at the beginning of the year is that the, the Nacional there has been more Nacional than ever before mm. and yet so many of the teams who came up at the end of last year um, into the Primera were teams from Greater Buenos Aires Argentinos uh, Chicago Huracan help me out guys um, various others yes Temple and, and, and all these kinds of clubs and Sarmiento who are not exactly great at Buenos Aires but they're not that far away and so as a result it's it's, um, it's not really been decentralised yet but obviously with Atletico Tucumán coming up and whoever else is coming up with them which is going to be probably Patronato Paraná no, oh, they have a playoff oh sorry yeah there's a playoff for second down to fifth isn't there so Patronato de Paraná uh, Ferro, Santa Maria de Tambil and Instituto de Córdoba Ferro are the only side there who are Greater Buenos Aires team and all the rest of them are out in the provinces um, so there's the possibility of an ever so slightly less centralised first, first division next season but I think the real problem with this in kind of the federalised project is it's just incompatible with abandoning away fans because where a lot of these clubs I mean I know Olimpo have I've said it a lot. I mean, what they live for is Boca away. Mm. They get 5,000 fans packing in all, and all the attention on them and, and that pays them out salary, more or less. And but it's also... This away, the away bands just suck that income out of them. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not compatible with a federal project where fans have to stay at home watching it on TV. And it's also not really compatible with the country in which a third of the population live in or around the capital city. No, That's the other course. thing that nobody really bothered to, to tell me after the time was, well, hang on a second, if, if there's, there's a reason that the Buenos Aires region dominates Argentine football so much. But if you look I mean, at yeah, the so nat- historic as well. Because but if you look at the then. national team now, it's uh, the majority uh, from Santa Fe or, mm. or from other places. Like, it's basically a news and, and central in Dream 11. Because they've got fields. Because they've got fields. <laughs> Frolicking and, and play football in their kids. And Buenos you've been to Rosario. <laughs> Well, I have, and it was, uh, yes, that's an excellent counterpoint yes. to, to my very <laughs> thoroughly well thought out argument. Um, Usually, any kind of porteño, if they tell you about something about the interior, if you respond, have you been there? No, 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 but I've, I've heard this, I've heard this. I'm sure it's the same in Brazil with uh, Rio or Sao Paulo. Yeah, but it's not so centralised, is it? No, no. Well, yeah, you've got the two centres. You've got four poles. 
in Brazil, for you know, two major ones yeah. and two subpoles, and others, others kind of growing as well. I mean, Chapecoense from Santa okay. Catarina, mm. better than River Plate with a weakened side. Um, you know, so that's the counterpoint to Argentina winning yeah. all the all the international titles. <laughs> but that's something as well that that's, I wanted to ask you about, Tim. Was is is there a reason that you could sort of put your finger on for Brazilian clubs? Although, as you say, it. it it's not all about results in, in this respect, but for Brazilian clubs relatively having dropped off a little in the last few years, we've had the last four major South American trophies have been won by Argentine sides. and the last five, to be honest. Yeah. Five? Lanús five. is Copa Sudamericana. Yeah, I was counting Lanús, San Lorenzo, River, River, River. River twice. And who was before Lanús is Sudamericana? Hold up. Let's do that. It would have been the Libertadores in 2013, so, so, wouldn't it? Um, Internacional would be Porto Alegre No, there's no, been no, three Argentines in a row in the Sudamericana haven't it? it was Lanús um, No, it's this year It's this year I'm thinking of where we've got the guarantee oh, yeah. of either Huracan or, or River Plate in the course. final and no Brazilian team or San- well, What I was going to say was the last, the last Brazilian semi-finalist in one of these was São Paulo in last year's Sudamericana mm-hmm. um, and beyond that I mean they didn't even I don't think any of them really looked like reaching the Libertadores No, I, mean, I, I, I don't think the Sudamericana can be treated as, as a measure um, mm. uh, and for a lot of the, the sides who are in it it becomes an inconvenience and it really became an inconvenience for Chapecoense who were fighting against relegation mm-hmm. um, so I, I don't think we, we can really put have, have that as a measure but there's no doubt about it the Libertadores is a measure, uh, and um, I think you were you were somewhat kind in your assessment of, of Brazilian teams over recent years because they've got a huge financial advantage. I know they're all in financial problems, but in terms of the wages that they pay, and Brazilian football is full of high-profile Argentines and, and, and Peru, Peruvians and you know um, Uruguayans and so on. I can only think of one relatively highly high-profile Brazilian who's playing elsewhere in the continent, and he doesn't even get a game. Which is Diogo, who's a left back and former under twenty international, who's a left back at uh, at Peñarol in in Uruguay. So uh, the, the, the the failure at club level is even more emblematic than than the seven one defeat in, in in the World Cup, because uh, you know that can be put on down to a bad afternoon or so on, whatever the limitations of the team. But we're seeing it year in year out now. In, in, in the continental competitions against rivals where Brazilian teams should have an advantage, it's uh, it's a crisis of ideas. That's what it is. So when we were talking about this, this generation of Argentine managers who are coming up, the opposite is true in Brazil. I mean, what, yeah. what's going on with managers? Well, to, to me, the most emblematic example is Cruzeiro. Cruzeiro won the Brazilian championship two years in a row um, by a huge margin and were considered a great side. And that side, in the second year that it won the Brazilian Championship, so that's a consolidated team um, who've been together for a while. And and in the the Libertadores, they were worse than Defensor of Uruguay. Uh, Defensor is a club that, you know, to be charitable, if they have 15,000 supporters, that's a lot. You know, how on earth... Yeah, it's Uruguay's third team, let's say. Yeah. How How on earth can that be the case? But you saw... The, the, the vice of that, that Cruzeiro team, which is a very common vice in Brazilian football, the lines are totally, totally separated. It's huge gaps between the defence, the midfield and the strikers. Um, there, there was one young Brazilian striker who, uh, not long ago, he said, you know, European football is all about passing and, and you know, Brazilian football is all about long, long balls and hard running. 
you know, for, for someone of my age who grew up with a certain perception of Brazilian football, that sounds like insanity. But that's the way... It's turned upside down. Indeed, that's the way that it, it, it's become. And there are... And, and, um, Corinthians next year in the Libertadores are, are a team to watch because Chichi is by some distance the best Brazilian coach. And I think he's even better after taking some time off and going to Europe and, and, uh, and studying. But really, I think it, it's more than anything else, it's, it's a crisis of ideas. And I think uh, Argentina have reacted better than, than, than Brazil and San Lorenzo winning the, 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 the Libertadores is a, is a good example I think because no one's going to tell me they were, they're a great side and we saw, we saw that in, the, in, in the, the World Club Championship where you know, a stronger referee and they'd only been down to five after, after half an hour um, but you've got players they're experienced midfielders who understand the game I'm glad you put Mercier in your team of the year because I thought he was the best player in the Libertadores that year um, Ortigosa is a again he's a player who understands the game. So in, in those central midfield areas, you have some generation of football, uh, and uh, in, in Brazilian football, a lot of that has gone. Um, there, an interesting coach, a guy called Durival Junior, who's, who was the coach of Neymar when he made his name. He's back at Santos again at the moment, and, and he says, you know, in Brazilian football, we've forgotten how to pass the ball through the midfield, uh, which is because they became so obsessed with throwing the fullbacks forward mm-hmm. and so obsessed with the counter-attack that's the only that, that almost became the only way to play football and at least I suppose you could argue that if you've, if you've got a double five who can't play you have got fullbacks to attack I think a problem with Argentine football when you have double fives who can't play is you don't have fullbacks yeah. who can attack yeah. so that just kills it off you know um, but it's, it, 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 it's become mm. predictable Yes, World Cup was one of the most dangerous weapons Brazil had was Luis, uh, David Luis, David Luis coming up from yeah. or or uh, headers or that's it, it, it's all become moments. The, 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 the idea is they became obsessed with the physical developments of the game. They became obsessed with it, and uh, they they hit on the idea that you can no longer pass the ball. You can no longer elaborate through the midfield. Um, because the physical development of the game means that if you try to do that, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're setting up the counter-attack for, for the, the opposition. So your central midfielders need to be 1 metre 80, 6 footers. They need to be that to have a big physical barrier. And you win the game on set pieces and counter-attacks. And then along came Guardiola at Barcelona. And because no one had told him that it was impossible to have a successful team full of little midfielders who passed the ball. No one had told him it was impossible, so he went and did it. And it, it's, it's been a revolution, been the biggest revolution that I've seen in football in, in, in my 50 years, what Guardiola did. People have studied it and imitated it, like the Germans, or they've looked at ways to counter it. It's moved the whole debate on. But in Brazil, the debate hasn't moved on. We're still in the pre-Guardiola era. They haven't adjusted to that yet. Because it's such a huge country, and it's been historically such a successful footballing culture, it's always got a tendency to stare at its own belly button and to say, well, we've won the World Cup five times, we don't need to learn anything from anyone, uh, which is a very, very dangerous dangerous mentality. It'll be interesting to see the reaction next year because I trust that the Brazilian teams in next year's Libertadores will be better than the ones in the, in, the, in the last few versions. What was the reaction? I know we're going to talk about the national teams a little bit later, but just to get in, uh, to the Copa America... Um, uh, shambles. I think that's the only word you can say for Brazil's campaign. Like, was there much reaction, or was it kind of, eh, it's a Copa America. We're not really that fussed about it. Well, I, I was in in Chile for it, so I didn't see the immediate reaction back at home. 
but it was hugely disappointing. I mean, they won all of their friendlies. Yeah. Uh, Brazil are world champions at winning friendlies, and they just take them, especially under Dunga. Dunga is a man driven by anger, and every <laughs> friendly for him is a World Cup final. So they, they, they had quite a good win away to France, and he made something like five substitutions in the last five minutes. It makes no sense at all. It's a friendly. What experience is a player getting coming on for the... But it, it, it guaranteed the result. Yeah, got it. Because he's, he's worried about his job all the time. As soon as the competitive stuff started, you saw the same old limitations. And credit to Ramon Diaz. He really, really worked him out. Really worked him out. In that. Better than any other Argent, Argentina manager today. Well, yes. I'm, I'm, we'll get onto it later. But I'm fascinated to see, to see whether, whether Martino can, can, can do the same thing tomorrow night. I think we're going to get onto it. In fact, after uh, sorry, Andres, you were about oh, to say something. Okay. No, I think about uh, he he said about Roman Diaz. Uh, he knows a little about tactics, but he's a big motivator. He mm. makes the players be better than they are. I think. So like here, um, a South American Mourinho takes all the kind of all the focus onto himself. He does you know? I didn't go down. I didn't go down, and and he stopped talking about the team. It's all about Ramon Diaz. Yeah. That happened with Paraguay as well. Everyone was talking about Ramon Diaz. He, he's only going to put his friends in the team. He's only going to put in Argentine players. He's not looking at the local league. He had a big old bus up with Chile there, and all of a sudden the team got to, to the semi-finals. It's very kind of Mourinho-esque there. Mm. And we're going to continue this um, diversion into international football by making it into the main topic after this break. We've actually had a question that ties in pretty much perfectly with what Tim was saying a minute ago. So I'm going to begin the section by asking about that. But first of all, um, I'm going to put some music on for the benefit of you listeners and uh, open another bottle of wine and let Dan presumably step outside for a quick cigarette and then oh, we'll get down the second half. Uh, let Dan step outside for a nice um, some air, fresh <laughs> glass of water and a few press-ups. question which uh, tied in quite well with, with what Tim was saying just before the break there um, about managers and we <coughs> talk quite a bit about managers, Argentine managers um, and, and the new generation who are coming through and Brazilian managers and the new generation who aren't coming through um, really so far and so I'm going to go first of all to an email question and by way of working this into an Argentina v Brazil preview um, which is from Toby Millard and he says dear salmon guests what are the chances of Brazil or Argentina appointing an overseas national team coach in the future. Both of them have had them in the past, I'd like to say. Argentina had an Italian manager for about six or seven games at some point in the 40s, and Brazil have had an Argentine manager for one four matches or, or one game or something like that. And um, Brazil nearly went to the 58 World Cup with a, with a Paraguayan, Fleta Solic, uh, who, um, he was the candidate of Joao Avalanche, who, before he became FIFA president, was president of, of Brazil's FA um, but it was in those days it was very much a tie up between Rio and Sao Paulo and the big the big organiser in Sao Paulo said no I've got my own candidate so they went with a Brazilian Vicente Fiola um, but from that point 
after Brazil had become world champions, then a foreign coach became unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And foreign coaches, especially Uruguayans, but Argentines as well, played a huge role in the, in the development of Brazilian football, which was originally a sub-product of Uruguay, really. Um, but as soon as you win, you don't need that. Uh, and for a while, fair enough, they did well. Now, they really need a rethink. There was uh, an interesting thing happened towards the end of uh, in, in, at the end of 2012 when they sacked Mano Menezes um, Guardiola threw his hat in the ring he was on sabbatical at the time and he said I will interrupt this for one job and one job alone which is to coach Brazil and the Brazilian FA, the CBF they raced to, to stop that um, bandwagon building up momentum and they appointed uh, Luis Felipe Scolari uh, the, the, the FA Very similar philosophy, yeah. Well, the, the FA brilliant, brilliant. The brilliant. FA president at the time, Jose Maria Marin, who's currently uh, under, effectively under house arrest in, in, in New York, uh, he began his, his. He's a man of politics before a man being a man of football, and uh, he was a, pol- a politician during the military dictatorship. And he began his political career in the party of um, of Brazil's very own Mussolini wannabe, Plinio Salgado which shows you that kind of right-wing mentality. We don't want a foreigner, none of that nasty foreign stuff. We can do it all all our own. There is now, I think, more openness. And the idea of a foreign coach is becoming, it's becoming more feasible. We had a very interesting time recently with uh, the Colombian, Juan Carlos Osorio, at Sao Paulo. Um, gave it up to take charge of the Mexican national team. It was fascinating to see how the Brazilian coaches were desperate for him to fail really desperate for him to fail and they'd say look he's, he hasn't done very well and with Gareca as well right yeah Gareca he did fail fairly spectacularly but. indeed indeed but no one wants no one wants him to succeed and it's impossible to succeed under those circumstances when you're hired in the middle of the season or something you know you don't have time for, for a pre-season to get to know the league or, or, or anything like that but there, there are signs that it might be more possible in the future because I always have the impression of Brazilian football, obviously, I don't follow it nearly as much as I do Argentine football, but in Argentina, you always have like, the discussions about the coaches are always there. Um, the two World Cups, you, you can't mention them without mentioning mm-hmm. the guys who, who took Argentina to them. You've got Menotti and Villarro, kind of these two disparate styles that kind of marked the whole era, and even now, you talk about if you're on money. Uh, Menotista or uh, Bilardista or even a Bielcista or any type of Vista, but but I get the feeling that in Brazil, kind of the coaches always, at least in uh, in the five World Cups when when it's gone well, is it's been almost a secondary figure. Like the players won it, and the coach at least just didn't fuck up. Yeah, that's, that's probably a, a, that that perception exists. It's a little bit harsh. I mean, when they won the World Cup in 1958. Mm-hmm. They won with a back four. Now, that was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. They didn't concede a goal till the semi-final. Well, that's revolutionary. That, that, that's, that's a big revolution in football, defending with a back four. And Argentina at that time were well off the pace. Yeah, two, three, five. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and also um, taking physical preparation extremely seriously. Right, in mean, 58, they had doctors, they had a dentist, they had physical preparation specialists, they even had a sports psychologist, prematurely as it turned out but in those days they had such an open mind, it was such a curious culture and the problem with winning 
is that you forget that success is the result of a process. Mm. When you see success as a birthright, then you start coming, becoming lazy, and then the success dries up, and that's what's happened with Brazilian football. When you say the sports psychology is premature, you're referring to his diagnosis of Pelé and Garincha. In, indeed, yeah. Right. Yeah. He, he, was, he, he was a clown. But the fact that they were prepared to experiment with it... Mm. And I remember telling Mario Zagallo, who was a player in 58 and 62, the coach in 70... I told him that uh, England went to the 62 World Cup in Chile without a doctor. There was a player who nearly died on that trip. Uh, and he just couldn't believe it. He said, you know, how can you call us the third world? And, you know, we, we, had, we had all of it. This, you know. um, but it, it does show how football, very early on, became an affair of state mm-hmm. in Brazil. And it had done in Argentina as well, mm-hmm. didn't it? And Argentine, I don't think Argentine sports... Olympic sport has ever recovered from, from you, the, what happened to Peron. 58 as Brazil taking a, a, a mm. sports psychologist yeah. and today there are players that refuse to go to the psychologist when they are down when they are well, in a bad Argentines refuse to go to a psychologist yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think that this, this species <laughs> existed independently of the, of the other profession they have yeah. they're not Porteño I think that's the thing as Dan says they're all from Santa Fe and, and Cordoba these days um We've got a kind of dichotomy in that case between Argentina and, and, and Brazil, which is set up very nicely indeed. And I think it's almost as if we were trying to do this deliberately to preview Thursday evening's match. I want to say tomorrow's match, but for the avoidance of, of uh, confusion, given that this won't be going online for at least a few hours, um, we'll say tonight's match, if you're listening to this on the is day. Is it going to go up at least before the game, Sam? This was, I was talking to it Rupert was, earlier and he was he was worried, you know, no, is no, Sam going to turn it around? Can he turn it around? It'll definitely go up before the game, don't worry, Excellent. I've got it online, hopefully later tonight. Um, because this is a big rivalry, it's Argentina versus Brazil, it's the first one that I'm going to have been to, um, because of course the previous one, uh, well, well actually it was before I lived here. Um, it was in my first week in Argentina. Did you get to up to Rosario for it? No. It I went to a bar in Plaza Rigo and I watched it and Argentina were dreadful. It was well worth Absolutely a bus ride. Dreadful. Well worth it. I remember coming on the bus back because I went up on the morning, did the game and then got the bus back overnight and I can never sleep on buses usually. But Argentina is just so flat. It was so soothing that I remember... Waking up, only, to sleep, only when we got that we came into the, the, in the, road. the lights of Buenos Aires. It was well worth it. They're, they're all they're all great occasions. Mm. I've got oh, I've yeah. got really strong memories of all, all six of them. And one of the great memories I've got from from the Rosario game is just seeing Maradona out for the kickabout before the game. It's hypnotic. It's magical just watching him just kick, kick a ball around. <laughs> but they're all great, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that that um, this this one will be great as well. Although I have my doubts. In some ways, well, this is which I think you just sort of touched on with those last few words, I wanted to ask whether this is going to be the most underwhelming Argentina beat Brazil ever, because both sides started the, the World Cup qualifying process slowly, I think it's fair to say with a massive amount of understatement in Argentina's case particularly, um, and this becomes therefore a, a very high pressure match for both of them, particularly Argentina who've got Colombia away next as well, um, they've got to get something from this. Argentina have got a whole load of players out. Messi's out injured. Aguero's out injured. Obviously, Tevez in the last couple of days has been um, sent home from, from the squad. And so it's almost starting to look as if, you know, who's left now? I mean, thank God they haven't had this level of injury scare in, in defence, or they really wouldn't have anybody left. 
Well, um, and Brazil. Baraya are out there. That doesn't help. Are they? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the, that was I think that was just mean. mean that was just mean it's cruelty to animals Pod's left back of the year Indeed. as well but, and yeah, that's that, well, that, that tells you all about the step up well, you know, yeah, Mass he looks very classy in, in, in domestic football you put him against Valencia sorry son different ball game plus mm. in that game he had no cover at all yeah, I was like, going to say it yeah. was always two against one yeah. he had to go to the marker and Valencia was already... But, uh, that's the problem of calling up a player because the other one or the one who will mm. have been in a certain lineup has been injured and you have to call an emergency <laughs> player. Mm-hmm. That's the result. Yeah. But talking, uh, going back to tomorrow's game or today's game whenever this goes online, I'm kind of intrigued by this because what we've seen always, I think Dunga, at least as Brazil coach, kind of revels in this idea that he has a fairly technically limited... Brazil team and he goes up against uh, Argentina teams which are packed with talent you see in 2007 they had Tevez, Messi, Riquelme all these guys playing brilliantly and in 2009 they were a bit uh, more chaotic with Maradona but those guys were still there and he can kind of go in you know saying look it's backs against the wall we're going to just go on the counter we're going to grab any chance we get and it's worked fantastically for him even in in November 2014, the last time they met was two goals from Diego Tardelli that, that won it. It's funny, so now funny you're in that name in an Argentine accent. Yeah. Diego Tardelli. Diego Tardelli. But now it's, it's intriguing because you haven't got Aguero, you haven't got Messi, these guys that really make Argentina tick. So you have to wonder is Martino. But he gonna, talks. Gonna try and play a dunga. He talks on and on and on about his idea. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it. before, remember, he was he was very successful with Paraguay, mm-hmm. and he started with Paraguay with this set idea of getting Paraguay to play and to press and to take the initiative. Up until Cavani said had his tragedy. Let's say. But hang on, started first competitive tournament was the Copa America in Venezuela, two thousand seven, uh, <clears> and they started quite well. But then in the, the quarterfinal against Mexico, the wheels just came off and they were savaged 6-1. And I spoke to Martino afterwards and he admitted, I tried to go too far, too fast. And during the course of those World Cup qualifiers, what he did was he showed flexibility. He built a side that could have, as he said, the two profiles. That when they could... They would take the initiative and press and attack. When they had to, they would sit back with that legendary Paraguayan resilience and they would fight for scraps. And it was very, very successful. It was the best World Cup in Paraguay's history. And they gave Spain, in in those three tournaments, they gave Spain probably the best game that Spain had. And that is, as Dan hinted while you were saying, sort of, Five months after Salvador Cavanias, their main centre forward, by far the most dangerous attacking player, get shot in the head. So, but with Argentina, we haven't seen any evidence of this flexibility. We've seen the the, the idea, 
which is basically a 4-3-3. Now, we all remember. There are variations on it. You could put Pastore in as an Ingoensi and call it a 4-2-1-3. But, and Martino himself says all that is is reversing the, the triangle in, in, in the midfield. And it's basically a 4-3-3. And it's been the same idea with modifications that Batista tried mm-hmm. and that Sabella tried and no one's been able to pull it off. And I, I think there's a reason for this, which is that the defensive line is so slow. that Because this 4-3-3 has been influenced by Messi at Barcelona. Let us try to provide something equivalent to the structure that, that, that he has. I know, I know this is very loose, but that's, that's really the, 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 the idea. But the difference is huge. And where does the Barcelona defensive line play? Right up there. They press like mad as soon as they win the ball. Do Argentina press? Not at all. The defensive line is slow. It lacks confidence. So what does it do? It goes back. This is one of the reasons, I think, for Messi's burnouts during tournaments. That the the space on the field that he has to occupy is so much bigger. He has to drop so much deeper. With Barcelona, he's winning. The, the ball is won in the, the opposition half. And Messi receives the ball 40, 30 metres from goal. With Argentina, he has to come back inside his own half to win the ball. He has to cover so much, so much more space. So you have to wonder... Is this idea practical? Now that's with Messi and Aguero. You take Messi and Aguero out, you put Higuain and Lavezzi in. It's, it's not the same. No. So I'm absolutely fascinated to see what they'll do with that defensive line. Now in very few days in the Copa America, Ramon Diaz managed to do it. What did he do? Brazil's only weapon is the counter-attack. So what are we going to do? We're going to make sure that our two lines, the defence and the midfield, are very close together and we're going to mark proactively, we're going to step up. So in that game, Brazil took the lead early. After that, that was the only time they got inside the Paraguayan penalty area in the first half because that press, it was bold because it can really go wrong. But it worked and they managed to get Brazil offside and it really worked. Are Argentina capable of doing doing something similar or will they defend deep again? If they defend deep... And Banega's not quick in the, mar- in the marking. I don't think Bilio is particularly quick in the marking. Macherano, neither. That's why he's gone back to centre-back for Barcelona. You've got... It, it looks like... We don't know the Brazil team yet, but it looks like he's going to go with three flyers. Neymar, William, Douglas, Kroester. Mm. They can't elaborate. I'm gonna, but boy, they can go up pace. I'm going to interrupt Tim very quickly because we've actually had a question naming pretty much those players. Uh, from Lionel Burgundy, I'm guessing that's not his real name, but if it is, then no offence to just say a fucking fake name. Congratulations for the great name. Indeed. Um, who says, how are Argentina going to cope with Neymar, Willian and Costa, who are arguably the three hottest players in Europe? So, If they put Roncaglia in, they won't. No doubt about it. He, Roncaglia can't play this game. He just can't. Well, he can't put yeah, Roncaglia is, against Neymar. I think you're going to be disappointed because of the fact that if he was so set on playing the anti-Neymar and Gina Perusi, he would have been in the squad from the start. And the other thing is that well, since, since, thought, since those yeah. matches... Since he's there, were, you've got to play him, I think. The other thing is that since those matches, which were in 2011... It's a different Neymar. Exactly. Since those games, Neymar has improved a bit. Perusi really... I mean, hasn't. No, no, I, I agree. Yeah. So, no, of course. But he was um, the anti No, he's taken away. I mean, but uh, uh, anti Neymar line is, uh, is a nice line for the paper. But I think it's, it's, nice it's a possibility. Though. If he does go with these three, yeah. Neymar will roam free. Because he's got. If he does go with with, with the three, if, if he takes out Oscar and brings in Douglas Costa, then he's got Douglas Costa to open to the left and William to open to the right, and Neymar can wander. So it's not anymore the one on one duel with Neymar against Roncaglia or, or, or Peruzzi. 
but still, in a straight comparison, in this match, Perusia and Nombroncalia, I'd have Perusia, I think, playing yeah, I, 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 is it's suicide. But I would worry about, about any member of the Argentine back four, one-on-one, with any of those three. Is that fair? That's well, fair. You yeah, know, that's fair. Ramiro Funes Mori might even Funes Mori even Funes Mori I'd worry about him I would I guess since we're talking about the Argentine national team I'm going to give you a a chance to respond to some of your critics now because I've got to say that I think whilst I am beginning to regret the fact that I didn't make you take a bet on which of us would be closer (laughs) to the truth with Funes Mori um, some of the reaction that you've had in the last few days particularly from Everton fans I was checking out your Twitter mentions earlier uh, is a little bit on the ridiculous side, let's say. And I know that, obviously, we all know, because we've all had to write, at some point, previews about an Argentine player who's going to the Premier League or La Liga or the Bundesliga or wherever. And, uh, and almost always get it wrong. Almost always. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're always asked, how, how is this player going to do at this club? And if you get it even a little bit wrong, if you say, oh, I think he's going to score 20 goals a season and he scores 19 in his first season, then you get it in the neck afterwards. So, Tim... You're the most visible of us. Everybody knows who you are. Tell us why this is a basically kind of a mug's game trying to to write these pieces. Well, because there are so many imponderables. You're, you're dealing with, with with human beings. Um, you're dealing with human beings moving to a totally different collective context. Um, it, and isn't it great that this is the case? I and mean, if football was mathematics, it would be so boring. Yeah, I think it's fabulous to be wrong. Especially when the player turns out to be much better. It's not. It's not good when he turns out to be Paulinho. You know, who's going to your club and you think he's going to be a sensation? And he isn't. That's 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 bad. Um, I still. I'm amazed by how well Funes Mori's done. There's actually a very good interview of him last night on TSC. I think they were talking to him from uh, from the Argentina base and asking, oh, "How are you getting along? We all know you speak English. You're doing fine with that." So. But how are you finding life in England? So, ah, oh, no, you know that's really great. The best thing is uh, on match days, I just go in and I go in my car, and maybe two hours before the game, so, you know, I just leave it in the car park and I go to the stadium. Can you imagine that? It's like, they're, they're amazed. Oh, so you go in your car, yeah. not in a bus or anything. Yeah. You, no you're in your car and you, no. you turn up two two hours before the game, and then you get changed. So you get changed yeah. there in the dressing room. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like. Um, in Argentina, you have to be with your teammates a day before you're in the hotel. But here, no, I just I got in my car. It's fine. Yeah, I'll leave it there. Oh wow, wow, Funes Mori, look at look at what you're telling me. <laughs> two hours before the game as well. Yeah, two hours. I shit, you know. And so yeah. it's down to stuff like that as well. I mean, who would guess that a player who actually feels maybe a bit more comfortable and more relaxed before a big game performs slightly better as well? Yeah. I mean, even beyond the stuff that you were mentioning, Tim, and you, there was an article for a SBS, I think, that you wrote uh-huh. today or yesterday about. Language and, and well, especially for for a defender because defending is collective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, I think that that makes coming in as a as a as a centre back so difficult because the football is, is much quicker and crucially you're defending in a different place. You're defending higher up the field, so all these things are happening around you. You need orientation if you can't understand what's being said around you. So you know, Funes Mori. Had has the advantage of, of language. It's a big advantage. It's a, it's a huge, yeah, advantage. huge advantage. But I, I I knew that. But I thought he'd be shown up all round. I, th- I thought he would really really be shown up for for, for pace for physical for physicality and and for quality. And I'm 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 very surprised and pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. that that hasn't been the case. He has made mistakes. Uh, 
he hasn't cost points yet. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens when he makes mistakes that do cost points. Because, but he does strike me as a strong character. I think uh, I said something similar um, to a couple of Everton fans that asked me about this. They're like, now nah, what should we expect from Funes Mori? What kind of Funes Mori? I mean, um, what kind of player is he? Is he going to be the next blah, 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 Passarella? I think someone said that in the... In an article, don't expect the next pasarela. What you got from with Funes Mori is uh, a defender who's not afraid to to put himself out there. He's aggressive. He'll come in. He's going to try and break up play. He's not afraid of anyone. He's going to mess up, and those mistakes can be very, very costly at times. But he can also be the hero. Can I can I give you an example of of, of of why one of the reasons why I, I thought that he'd struggle do you remember the group game against Tigris in the Libertadores not the final we'll get to the final in a minute but the Very group vaguely. game against Tigris about a game in February in, in February or March something <laughs> like that he couldn't cope with the pace of Geoffrey Guerron mm-hmm. the Ecuadorian mm-hmm. he really couldn't cope um, River 1-0 down and they only they improved when he got injured and he was subbed and Balanta came on and Balanta's quicker than he is mm-hmm. And when Balanta is, is, is an interesting case because when he came in, wow, such conviction. You wonder what, what would happen when he started making mistakes. And we've seen some, well, some, some of that subsequently. But anyway, bottom here anyway, he couldn't cope with the pace of, of, of Get On, who is quick and is powerful. And I thought, you get him into the Premier League, he's going to be up against, you know, because Argentine domestic football, he plays against Strachwilodzi, for God's sake. You know, it's going to be a different. But he, he's done it, he hasn't yet been exposed. Perhaps against Brazil. Let's see him against the Flyers if, 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 if open. Another um, thing I, I, I thought that he'd come unstuck with. Do you remember the final of the Libertadores, the second leg? Mm-hmm. I remember Again. it very, very, as a river sympathiser. Uh, indeed. Again against Tigris. The game's at nil nil. And Funes Mori is involved in the moment that could easily have lost the title. Mm-hmm. Because he gives the ball away on the edge of, And I've seen him do that oh, so often. So, many yeah, times. so often. Gets away with it because Gignac plays in Rafael Sorbis, who's lost his pace. If that's Aguero in the Premier League, that's a goal. Mm-hmm. And that would have been the goal that awarded the title. You know, it would have been very hard for River to come back after that. I thought he'd be in trouble because I think, if, I think there were more than 70 misplaced passes in the first half of River against Tigre. It was appalling. It was dreadful. And who played more misplaced passes than anyone else? Funes Mori. So I thought he'd be in trouble with that. Giving, especially under pressure, quicker football, giving the ball away on the, on, on, on the edge of the box. He hasn't done that so much. He's done it once or twice, but he hasn't done it so much. So, have to take your hat off and say congratulations and good, and, and good luck to you for being much better than I thought. Although I still think... There's a problem. There's a, there's a possibility of future problems. I definitely think there's. A, I think he's one of those players who's always got a mistake in him. And like you say, I think down the line we could quite easily see. At the moment, mistakes have gone unpunished. Perhaps high-profile mistake. Mm. If he was mm. to cost that, all of a sudden the perception of him as being a success so far would completely change. Then again, you have to consider the fact that he's gone from from being kind of a, a defender in one of the two biggest clubs in the country to being a defender in I don't know where you put Everton in the kind of the second tier but the no, pressure on him is sure but it's a, a, it's a big level. club it's a big club I it's talking, a very big club I remember though. talking to a Brazilian who played there yeah. and when he went there he'd never heard of him and he just couldn't, couldn't believe mm-hmm. the size and, and the importance mm-hmm. of, 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 of the club 
But for the Marinas now, you know, if he makes a mistake in River, it's going to be on every headline, every news channel for the next week. I think. And in Everton, I, I, I think, think he, he likes being a bit more low the, profile. The converse to that, of course, is that when he plays his first Merseyside derby. That's a different story, um, yeah. We did this well. is a guy who's gone to number one era and scored a winning goal. Yeah, he's not going to be afraid of anything. So the pressure isn't going to be. Pepper spray thrown at him, he's had all sorts. But isn't, isn't it interesting to see what a late developer he is? Mm-hmm. Because that, that's relatively rare, you know, to be, what, he's 24 now. Or when he was 22, and Ramon Diaz wouldn't let him anywhere near the first team. Mm-hmm. Ramon Diaz really didn't rate him, and we saw that against Paraguay. You remember? Uh, I thought Funes Mori was a little bit lucky to stay on, actually. But second half against against Paraguay, Ramon Diaz brings on Santander and just says, "Get on him and get him sent yeah. off." <laughs> uh, you know, Ramon Diaz is thinking, you know, you know, two years ago, I wouldn't, let, said, I wouldn't let him play, wouldn't let him on the bench, let alone be my reserve yeah. left back. You know, and here he is, centre back for Argentina. So uh, Ramon Diaz gave him gave him a test. He came through it, but he, he is, as you're saying, I think he is the kind of centre back who does walk the plank a little bit. Mm-hmm. In terms of the Brazil eleven. Um, uh, Juan Pablo Varsky is an Argentine journalist yeah, too, a uh, wonderful journalist in, yes to say journalist is putting it very lightly indeed in fact um, that he tweeted what he reckons is the probable Brazil lineup earlier he's tweeted Argentina's probable lineup as well and we'll read that out in a minute but I want to get Tim's thoughts on this first of all um, with apologies before anything else uh-huh. for the pronunciation of some of these names I'm going to try and do them in my best Portuguese but I don't actually speak Portuguese so here goes if my girlfriend was in the room because she does speak fluent Portuguese she would be flinching at this um, Alison in goal Dani Alves Miranda David Luiz Felipe Luise that's completely wrong Felipe Luiz across the back Luiz Gustavo and Elias and then William Oscar Douglas Costa with Neymar up front that's what he reckons what do you think about him? Well, it's Tardelli. Where's Tardelli? He's, he's gone to China. Yeah. You're, you're, he was you're, already in China, right? When he, yeah, yeah. You ain't going to see him no more. Having said that, I mean, Kaká's in the team, no? He's no. in the squad. He's in the squad. But I think the main reason that Kaká is in the squad, remember, this is a Brazil lineup with next to no experience of World Cup qualification. The captain is Neymar, who is known to blow up and be petulant. And Kaká is there for his experience as much as anything else right, maybe at 33 he can still be useful perhaps off the bench but I think his main role is the wise old head in the dressing room and in the team hotel there are some big decisions there for the coach to take uh, one is in goal uh, the goalkeeper was Jefferson he seems to have lost faith in Jefferson Alisson who's a youngster played against Venezuela and looked very very nervous do you trust him for this game he's brought in Cassio to the squad from Corinthians who's never played for Brazil but Cassio, right. Cassio was, was in the squad but Alisson's got the notice strange Cassio's been brought in and he's a big occasion player man of the match in, the, in, the, in the, the, the world club final against Chelsea I had the idea that when he brought Cassio when it was Cassio to play so that, that, that's one big decision the back four I think basically picks itself Luis Gustavo to protect does he go with Elias who is a player of 30 years of age who still hasn't proved he's anything other than a domestic star, failed in Europe and hasn't done anything in nearly 30 games for Brazil, or does he go with Fernandinho, who gives you a little bit more coverage? That's one decision. And the other one is, does he go with Neymar in the centre-forward role, or does he go with Ricardo Oliveira, who's in good form and is an out-and-out centre-forward, uh, and, um, and and play that line of, of William Douglas Costa and, uh, and Neymar behind... Um, behind his centre forward so there, there are some decisions there I think the, the, the biggest one is, is the goalkeeper that, that's the big one to look out for if he does go with Cassio 
it means that Brazil have used four different goalkeepers in the last four games. Wow. And particularly against, as it's going to be, though, I'm going to read the Argentina 11 out. But perhaps, perhaps all of them might shade Sergio Romero. Oh, well, I don't know about that. But Gonzalo Higuain's going to be up front, and he's in fantastic form for Napoli. But Argentina's 11, again, according to Vasky, which this still isn't confirmed, but this is. It's the 11 that he's trained with for two, two consecutive days. Precisely. So, uh, it's Sergio Romero in goal, uh, Manchester United star. From right to left, across the fence. Legend. No, no, this one. The, the, the next one. What's your, your reaction to the next one? From right to left, across the fence. Facundo Roncaglia. <laughs> yeah. That won't work. On the, that won't work on the podcast. Oh, no, no, what no, you just did. Fuck's sake. The centre backs are Nicolás Otamendi and Ramiro Funes Mori. Funes Mori. And Marcos Rojo. So four of that back five at northwest of England. That's where we play proper football, well done. Uh, in midfield, Javier Mascherano in between Lucas Bigli on the right and uh, Eben Banega on the left. And then Lavezzi on the right wing, Di Maria on the left wing with Gonzalo Higuain in, at the centre forward. Di Maria's back in the team then. And Pastore is out. Which Pastore I think was struggling Pastore's with injury. Uh, no, he was struggling with physical, injury, yeah. But he was but also you, absolutely you, terrible in the first but you, two World Cup. You World can't World play World. the front three... And Pastore against Brazil, can you? They'll just, you know, that, that's just an that's a an invitation to. And so in a way, that's that's an answer to the question that we had from um, Lionel on Twitter a minute ago about how is uh, Martino going to deal with this this three man, yeah, very very hot three man. So it's, 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 it's either three defensive midfielders. It, yeah, so it would either be drop Pastore or drop one of, one of your wingers. You mm. you can't have both for this game. Mm. The no. thing is, my concern with this. Argentina lineup is like you touched on earlier. The defense defense is already quite sort of static. You don't get full. You don't have two fullbacks there who they're going to add anything or add any width. Then you get three fairly central. So it's going to be a very narrow three midfielders, none of which are going to push on and join the attack. Particularly, Benega is going to be the one that's going to be most likely to be given that role. Um, and I'm, I'm for, I, I, I kind of worry that we're going to see a similar performance as, as how we did see against Ecuador or, or against Paraguay, where there's no real link-up between the midfield and the attack. You do um, wonder seeing that team where the goals are going to come. Exactly. I and really I do. Like, Martino said today something about um, I mean, the, the Ecuador That's the thing, match. isn't it? Who's going to score the goals? Well, Iguain is in very good form. No, but who's who's going to supply that. the ball for him is the, the issue. And is then the midfield to the forwards. Doubly... Obviously, the obvious answer to that would be Di Maria and Levesi. But I'm assuming, having learned some lessons from Ecuador and saying the fullbacks were completely exposed, and like Dan said, you know, it was often two versus one. Where, where are they going to play? Where are they going to play? No, it's, it's a 4 5 1. Possibly with exactly. Levesi a little bit. But their uh, double function, which they have done before under Savela, is okay, we're going to need to use you to drop back and, yeah. and do a lot of defensive and work. And surprise, surprise, they're probably the two paciest. Players in the team, and as well. not just oh, AC, no, but no, also no, only very, yeah, uh, yeah, a huge amount of work. All of a sudden, then you're looking at that lineup and saying, okay, you've got a back four, two wide players in Levesi and Di Maria who are supposed to be up front, but are going to end up perhaps mm-hmm. having to help out the fullbacks, and three quite defensive central midfield players, Iguain on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Where's the nil nil then? Nil nil. That's what we come back to. What I kind of hinted at earlier, very quickly in passing, that. Is this going to be the most underwhelming Argentina-Brazil in history? There was a pretty underwhelming 0-0 2008 in, in Belo Horizonte when the, the, the Brazil crowd mm. ended up 
booing uh, their own team and, 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 and cheering for, for Messi. Um, the, uh, the theme of the six World Cup qualifiers really has been that Brazil like it when Argentina come onto them mm-hmm. and give them the, the, the chance to go. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, the styles make fights, as the boxing writers used to say, and that, that works for Brazil. When they came unstuck in 2005, when they were 3-0 down at half-time, is when their team was top-heavy. And Argentina were able to pass holds in them. It was a a wonderful night for Riquelme. But when Brazil sit and wait and go, they've usually come out on top. So this this means, I think you're absolutely right, the scenario exists where Martino thinks, while it's nil-nil, I'm happy. With me, withdrawing the wingers and and leaving Higuain up front. When we get a goal, if we get a goal, then we get a game because mm-hmm. no one wants to lose this one mm-hmm. you know but while it's nil-nil there is I think the risk of it staying nil-nil Martina's got a scenario in front of him I mean he's got on um, Tuesday the trip to Barranquilla who no one which no Bar- team in Barranquilla have you ever been there I was there for the 2001 Copa I haven't America. no it I've is to in January Barranquilla and Colombia play their games at four o'clock in the afternoon there for a yeah, reason. Yes, sweat you You work up a sweat sitting in the, in the shade sipping yeah. an orange juice. Mm-hmm. You know, Argentina are going to fry. So that's that's another big game. And you have to think if Martina comes out of this series with just one point, a loss and a draw in either of the two games, he's out. You've got 14 games left, say, until, until the end of qualifying. You've got a whole almost four or five months until the next who, game who would be the alternatives well Bielsa's not in work at the moment Bielsa's not in work or I've heard if Tinelli gets the mm. other hand in the AFA Gachado is is his man Gachado has been very very oft linked and mm-hmm. uh, certainly at the end of the year he, I mean so the combination of bad results here and the Tinelli win could make you took up with the capable coaches there are already three, which are Gallardo, Ramon Diaz, and, and Simeone. But Simeone has been, I think, uh, his contract has been increased because of this and trying preventing Argentina. He'll do that when he's older, surely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ramon Diaz has a job. <laughs> well, but Bielsa, Marcelo Bielsa, when he uh, was hired by Argentina national team, he had a job. He, he was, was Espanol. Espanol and he but for, for, for two, or, two or three games and it was in his contract as well so it's a different situation <laughs> yeah. I think and imagine Ramon, Ramon Diaz could never go back to Paraguay again, again if he walked if he walked out on them I lucky like, plans to, to be honest <laughs> uh, if he left Paraguay everybody's like Sunday in Paraguay why not go, go, go to Paraguay and enjoy a never ending Sunday no he can go up to La Rioja where he's from Santiago he's still like that as well since we've almost finished the, the series is, yeah. discussion now about Argentina Brazil I'm going to throw one more thing out now according to La Nación uh, right now and this is going to be one for, for squad number nerds like myself more than anybody. Um, Angel Di Maria is going to be the person who's given the number 10 shirt tomorrow. Does anybody else feel as sick about that as I do? The number no, 10. I don't think I can feel as <laughs> sick about that. The, the, the number 10 is a shirt for players who are capable of getting on the ball and thinking. And that's the one thing that Di Maria can't do. He's fantastic at many things, but he can't think to save his life when he's on the ball. Would you give it to La Vesi and then? No. La Nega. Definitely yeah. not. You yeah. might take it to La Nega. It's a shirt number. That's fine. I don't 
And there will this is why be a player to use it, so to worry. Well, so. Pastore can have it even on the bench. Mm. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, but yeah. there seem, no, seems not? to be this thing where they they must give it to, to an attacking someone on player. the pitch. They must and give the it to the player, player who's going to get injured. Give it to Funes Mori, why not? Absolutely. We're going to move on. We've answered all of our questions about the national team. And we're going to whip through these last ones that aren't about the national team now because we're getting on to an hour and a half recording. Admittedly, that's pretty standard for us now, but the first time that Tim was on, it was very unusual. Um, JB Boxing Promotions, who may or may not have chosen that Twitter name in order to get some free publicity from Man the Pod, um, I think that this is in reply to something I said last week, but I'm not sure because it, right. I'm not, it, it's not entirely clear whether it's a question for the podcast sure, or not. We can't ask be held to account for things we say last week. He says that, same, that's that isn't the point of the two-legged Ligisha finals to get both teams some revenue? Because I think I might have said last year, last week that it was just because this is Argentina. But there aren't two legs. Now it's a single game in the best-placed team's stadium. Did they change that? Or? Yes. They did. Racing will play Estudiantes in... In the cylinder. In the semi-finals, but then the final was is two legs. I don't know about that. So if, if it's a Racing Independiente final, for instance, which would be yeah. a hell of a lot of fun, we've got uh, the first leg in Independiente's ground and the second leg in Racing's because Racing are higher up the league. Yeah, that's mm. my understanding. Fair enough. Um, I didn't hear the I would assume, though. as I said, I think that's just because we're in South America. And that's why, why don't they take it up to Cordoba, play it on a, on a one-off on a rain-sodden pitch. That would be great, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing at all. Uh, Will Dalton says, what are the views, if any, on incoming San Lorenzo manager Pablo Gede? We talked about I'd, him a little bit more I about the future about his name. I to the San Lorenzo yeah. job, so I'm going to hold my hands up right now and say I have nothing to say mm. on him at all. He's the current Palestino manager in Chile, yeah. um, and that's all I can tell you. To reflect the question slightly, I've been hearing good things about the possible racing coach. We've got a, a question about oh, racing's next. Can you want me to wait? Let's, let's stick on Gede for now. Does anybody know anything? No, about I know nothing. Like with the New Chicago from Primera B to Portinato, National B, some time ago. So I think he's an attacking coach. He goes, he goes all out. Pre- big pressure. Hmm. What, what, what is that like? Bielsa, San Paoli? What can you yeah, say? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. see what happens when he comes. Tim? I liked what he did with Palestino on limited resources. I think he's got a bit of a swagger about him. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I was going to say was, and this is not really any kind of thought on him in particular at all, but is that the last time that San Lorenzo... Um, appointed a manager who hadn't previously had very much success in Argentina they ended up doing okay because that's the guy who's leaving the job now which is Edgardo Balsa uh, I remember Balsa He's taking, well taking Central to, to the semi-finals of the Libertadores in 2001 yeah, yeah. he had jobs I've, I've, always, I've, always, liked, I've always liked Balsa mm. especially because uh, it reminds me of Sheik when I was a kid and going Balsa, Balsa, Balsa but I've, I've always liked his uh, I, th- I think there's, there's, there's a there's a football aesthetic there. I was a bit sad to see him just go out to kick Real Madrid um, last year, but I suppose there wasn't a lot else they can do. They were, they were so outgunned. Mm. Do you think River Plate are going to do something similar against Barcelona if they get if they that they meet in the final? And that's an interesting. They carry on the form at the moment. Even that one side. The way that they played in the last six months, you think that Gachado is going to have to adapt and play more on the counter and a little more attritionally. But obviously, the the way that they actually won particularly the Sudamericana last year and, and to a lesser extent the Libertadores this year is um, 
does he stick with his principles or does he, does well, he stick if, or twist as it were if, if Ponzio does what he did in, the, in, the, in the, the, the final of the Libertadores it's a red card very very early you know they, 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 got, they got away with a few didn't they mm. yes. uh, Gachado is another one of these coaches as we were mentioning a little bit earlier he can adapt yeah. he has mm. this idea yeah. of he likes to uh, press high he likes to kick the ball on the floor pass a lot but he's shown no fear in that, that's what's been so impressive about him but no, this is what I, I thought he could no. only do the diamond no, to start no, no, with no. and then he showed that he could yeah. do a lot, do many more things and this is what I wanted to say as well I'll, I'll try and mention it while, while Tim is here because uh, after the Libertadores final Tim you, you wrote a piece saying that basically Rivers uh, Traditions have been betrayed by Gachado. Well, not, not, not betrayed, Which, but and, and the reason I wanted to put it was because Joel can't be here tonight. But uh-huh. uh, he he uh, was on the recording immediately after that, and having read it, he, he kind of said that, uh, in his opinion, and he said this on on the podcast, and I'm saying it to you because I know that you, you're not a regular listener, otherwise you would have heard of Fernet, for instance. Um, but uh, he, he said that in his opinion, Gachado kind of marries the best of both styles: the traditional river style and the more kind of Mourinho uh-huh. uh, modern style of, of the, the counter attack. And he, he does what it takes to get the result. Perhaps, perhaps, but while still playing decent football when they can. I mean, the first half of this league season, River were very good in the league and were demolishing sides. Onto the second half, has been a bit of a write-off. But I, I, I hate all um, this huevos. I think it's it's, it's just poison and. I'm a, I'm a Tottenham fan, so for me the the, the title isn't isn't so important. I, I want I want I want to be remembered by how you did it, not just what you did. And uh, I found, as as a an admirer of the, the the ethos of River Plate and as a lover of, of South American football, I found the the final of the Libertadores a depressing depressing occasion. The, 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 the ninety minutes. The 90 minutes, there was one moment of football, really, which was, it was a beautiful cross from Vangioni and a great movement and header from, from Alario. Apart from that, that... I'm just putting my hand up to mention here that that was the moment that myself and fellow hand of pod contributor Remy missed because I have direct TV here, which is a satellite service, and it goes out when there's heavy cloud. Uh, and literally, as River won the ball back, my television screen went black. Uh, and then we heard the guys just down here, about half a block down that way running out onto their balcony and screaming and both Remy and I are River fans and we thought oh did we just miss something and then the picture came back up of the celebration and we thought oh fucking hell that's, that's a pity and that as you say turned out to be the best moment yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember uh, I'm sure Andres will know much better than, 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 than me there was a it's not that long ago that the champion of South America was as good as the champion of Europe and could meet them in a fair fight and that's just gone now, isn't it? Well, uh, the, I mean, Boca, when Riquelme bossed it, and as a result, Barcelona ended up buying it against Madrid. Yeah. And buying a player they didn't want. Decade and a bit ago. <laughs> I think that the reason is, uh, one of the reasons, perhaps, there are more than one, is that the South American club is dying for playing that match, and they are saying, we will play against Barcelona, and we will like, we like Messi to be there, and that, and that. Barcelona is not thinking anymore. Anything. No, Barcelona won't think about that game until they play the semi-final and yeah, then sure. go on to the final. Sure. Uh, River have so been thinking about it since the no, since, since the even if, if, no, even before well, because they were in since the semi-finals. Since the semi-finals yeah. when they knew that Tigres uh, won yeah. and they were in. If River players turn on the TV. They will be. They will watch Barcelona games and they will read about the World Cup, Club Cup, and the referees up, that they have been confirmed and all, everything about the World Club Cup. So. Uh, they are thinking about that since they were, they were which which makes the semi-final 
Such a difficult game. Such a banana yeah. skin. As we saw last year, San Lorenzo. Well, every, every, year, every year, there hasn't been a year since this format started in, in what, 2005. Mm. There hasn't been a year that the South American club has found the semi-final easy and the South American and Brazilian clubs have lost it. You know, the lost one that sticks in my mind, yeah, is Internacional in, in 2010. So, they had a very good team that year. And they lost, I can't remember, against And Atletico Mineiro lost... Against Raja Casablanca yeah. uh, two yeah. years ago. No, the Atletico Manera team was all right, but the Inter team was a very good team on, on the San Marys. But in global terms, they're not anymore. No, in global terms. They're really yeah. not. You know, and, and For us who kind of watch uh, South American football, from, uh, this D'Alessandro, Giuliano, Tinga, mm. there was a team that really worked. Mm. But since they came out of South America, like, they lost to Masembe. Yeah. I couldn't, even if you put a gun to my head, I can't name a player of this. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the next list is question having said we're going to whip through these quickly and then spend about the last 11 or 12 minutes on the previous question we are going to get through these very quickly DJ Dissident asks apologies if the podcast is national team themed tonight there's no need to apologise which team at club level have over or underachieved this season and who was the best or worst signing I've got a couple of suggestions for underachieved if I can jump in first of all I think we would normally be talking about Newell's Old Boys and Lanús if it weren't for the fact that Vélez Sarsfield, as we've already mentioned, have been disastrous. And it's kind of bizarre, actually, because the previous time Tim was on was prior to the Copa America 2011, exactly 180 episodes ago, episode 27. So you're a very regular guest, really. We'll see you back for episode 380, as well. Um, but uh, when Vélez Sarsfield was celebrating the championship... Well, they were... They weren't just a successful club then. They were an example. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'd love Commonly to... Commonly they're semi-finalists. What on earth has happened? Um, but they've got to be the underachievers. And mm. as I said, I think that a lot of it's got to do with the fact that there's just no leadership in the team on the pitch. Um, it's sort it's of also because they still are the example. The problem now is they have a new president, Gamis, who was yeah. um, also in, in a very good period for the club. And he came in and realised that we haven't got money. We haven't got money to... Um, to buy players, we haven't sold a play a few players in in the last couple of years. So look, we're gonna just survive this year. Yeah. And we're not going, we're not going down. We're not we're not going to make the cups. That in promedios we're fine. So we're gonna ride out this year best we can with the kids. And, and he said in April or May. Then next year we'll we'll regroup. He said in April so or May you're gonna have. It's to not kind of. I respect that view in a way because he's like look. We're not going to mortgage the future to finish seventh. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go in and spend money we don't have to, um, to go on a wild goose chase. We're going have to they developed survive. players this year? Have players well, come on? It's difficult to say, I think, because... There's a few players who have looked tasty. The goalie, Aguirre, has looked very good. He's a great they, they all look Shamil Assad, El Turquito, has had his moments. I think There's they all look talented, players. but the thing is that the results are so bad. Mm-hmm. And they all look, to me, like a team of very talented players... Mm-hmm who then don't have one person who's going to say, OK, I'm going to give you some direction. And as a result, you've got a load of talented players on the pitch, and it's difficult to say how talented they are, because they're actually a pretty shit team, and therefore nobody ends up standing out. It's almost like the old kind of adage from the 1930s or whatever it was, where you say, if you've got one Argentine, you've got a good team. If you've got two Argentines, mm-hmm. you've got a potentially great team. If you've got 11 Argentines, you haven't got a team. And that's what Venice have looked like. Um, this year and particularly the second half of the year I mean in April or May Gamez started saying to uh, to the manager 
I'm going to be letting players go. We're not going to be renewing players' contracts. Mm. And so Sebastian Sosa, the goalkeeper, yeah, Pavone. Pavone uh, went to, you know, you could mm. arguably say that, that wasn't much of a, a nah, decision. Nah, Pavone's scored quite a few As it turns out, he's, he's done all right this start. season anyway, in spite of me slacking him off constantly. The big loss was Prado. The yeah, future Brazil exactly. international, sure. of course. Yeah. And so you've got all these players going out and they're deliberately not replacing any. And on the one hand, you know why mm. it's happening. But on the other hand, that doesn't actually stop the fact that the football on the pitch has been... Yeah, awful. but can you say it's underachieving if it was deliberately marked out as a year to, um, to tighten the, your belts? For the size, for the size of the club anything. that they are and for the expectations mm. that, that a, a club like Vélez should have, I would say they've underachieved. Should have, but they didn't have. They knew going into this year would, it was going to be a transition. I would agree, the therefore, that Lanús and Vélez have argued... Uh, sorry, Lanús and... Lanús have underachieved, definitely. ...have been greater underachievers yeah. because they've kept their squads together mm-hmm. and they've got managers who know what they... Theoretically, know what they should be doing. It's shown that in the previous seasons, and then they've ended up finishing fifteenth and tenth or something like that. It's, um, yeah, for me, it's a much worse year for Lanús than Vélez, yeah. regardless of the positions in the table because of the expectations. Yes, the problem with Gámez is that he he cut the contract of Sosa, Cabral, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Pavone, but there weren't players to replace them. So. No. That's the, the main problem. Exactly, yes. He's playing the long game, which I guess he can afford yes. to do. And if enough club members decide that they're on board with that, then, then that's fine to do. But, uh, yeah, Gammers is a lot of support in Vélez. He's, yeah. he's a very popular figure. So In the short term, then, let's Ever say, since he, he's he built an England fan in the 1986 <laughs> World Cup, I think he's, he's been a, he's, he's a favourite. Uh, and we know what happened with Passarella and his economy, uh, financial championship. Uh, he said that we have yeah. to win another championship, not the... Not the, the football championship, but the, the financial one. Oops. And he brought Bordegaray, uh, for example. <laughs> and it didn't that work out well? Yes. Uh, I mean, Passarella really laid the base for the Libertadores winning side, yeah, didn't he? Definitely. Really? Yes, of no? Course, yes. no, not at all. Um, also, best and worst signings of the season? I mean, for worst, and he's not really been the worst, but I think for the most underwhelming, I'm going to say Gonzalo Martinez. River spent a hell of a lot of money on him in January by yes. Argentine standards. Appeared in fits and, and starts. And he's not looked mm. bad, but he's not looked good either. Mm. And, well, no, it's just know, flashes. Considering what else River have done with the players they've basically already had and a couple yeah. of more who brought in, Martinez has been more than Saviola. entirely peripheral. Saviola. Yeah, Saviola is somebody you don't expect, and, and they didn't spend any money on him. Mm. Uh, we say you and Bartolo. River had a few to be honest. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a guard that crashes all the time. Mm. Best signing of the season has to be Tevez. Yeah, yeah. Or um, Tevez or Alario, Ruben, absolutely. Ruben came at the start of the oh, season. Oh, Alario's. Yeah. yeah, if we're talking not strictly um, he was domestic, then no Alario's a good shout. Yes, mm. uh, a very good yeah, shout. Yeah, yeah, it could have been Discoteca. In terms of just the championship. Poor Discoteca. In terms of just the championship, I think Tevez is, is incontestable, just just the league championship, because um, he ended up dragging Boca over the line. Um, Darren Paul asks, where is Diego Coca going? And how many racing players are going to stay? And who can they buy for the right wing? Darren, didn't he ask this question last it? week? He asks this question every week. Coca <laughs> so. uh, might go to Mexico. I think I say this every week. Okay. Uh, how many, so how many racing players are going to stay? Mm, most of them, I think. Who's going to go in that case? Bo and Lolo. Bo and Lolo are almost certainly going to go. The rest, there's not that much talk. Discoteca, who I've just mentioned, is going to stay. Oh, uh, yeah, they, they renewed his contract for a year, right? Yes. 
It's because like, he's going to be fit by February in theory. He's played a couple of games already. He played at the weekend. Yes. Did he? Yeah, yeah. That shows how much attention I was playing. Did, uh, he showed a few. Yeah, and against Cotter. After having a job that basically forced me to watch almost every match, you can tell how much I, I, don't, I don't know how you do any attention. He doesn't. But not watching any apart from Man United's games. I mean, literally all season, I've not seen Barcelona or Bayern or any of these. I've just been watching Argentine football. In terms of who could come in for Racing. Uh, Lisandro Lopez is is sounding very mm-hmm. strongly, which would be very good. But he's not going to play on the right wing, is it? Which is Darren's question. Who can they buy for the right flank? No, he can play on up front and on the right. No, you got Noir there. You got uh, a couple of guys. Maybe Sandoriano come back for a laugh. So Dan's answer to Darren's question is: uh, Lisandro Lopez to come in and we'll sort the rest out. Don't worry. Uh, Bob Roberts. What do you say about Lisandro Lopez? Tim, well, is he still uh, looking good? Difficult to judge because we're back in the, with that thing of a collective context. I mean, International are mm-hmm. recent years are consistent underachievers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's he's, he's 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 done quite enough. Uh, I could certainly see him lifting Racing. How's the Paraguayan done? Um, I, I like I like Romero, him. very good. He's coming on leaps and bounds. Yeah. I like him a lot. First half of the season, he wasn't used that much. He's a lot of the bench, but since they've just put him in the team, he's he's really coming yeah, on as well. Him and da- Dalisandro maybe on the right. Lisandro Lopez up front. Yeah, it could be a team. Could very well be. Uh, Bob Roberts has tweeted us to ask: Is there any chance of Argentine soccer returning to US television? I miss the passion and the firemen hosing fans off fences. Uh, to which various people, because I retweeted this from their Hand and Pod uh, account, um, basically various people have told him to just watch it on YouTube by Football Paradox, which is what you definitely should do. But is it not on Fox or something? It's I know on, a Mexican can watch it on, on Fox. Yeah, it's on something called NGSN Soccer as well, apparently, in the United States. So if you're listening to us and you don't want to watch it on YouTube in HD for some reason, um, perhaps you want English commentary, which is fair enough particularly because the Argentine not talking up bollocks as it is um, then you can go to NGN so- NGSN Soccer and get a subscription I'm assuming to that and watch it from there mm-hmm. so I this poor guy had to listen to the whole podcast just to work out <laughs> go to NGSN mate. apparently so yeah but uh, hopefully <laughs> hopefully he's enjoyed it anyway he apparently <laughs> follows us on Twitter so uh, presumably uh, he's going to have been listening in any case excellent that's it mm. you're going to throw out some predictions for the last oh, you're right. I suppose Mystic Sat ought to do this. Yeah, I It th- went really well in the first round. Do we want to go through how I did last weekend? And I haven't prepared this beforehand either, so this is going to take a few minutes. But uh, let's just bring up my predictions last weekend compared with what actually ended up happening. Just as soon as my browser decides to cooperate and show me my email from last week. Yeah, I just remember the predictions from the first set of qualifiers. I think it was 3-0 yep. against Ecuador. And, it was either 2-0 against Ecuador. 2-0 away against Paraguay. 2-1 away to Paraguay. Yeah, 2-1 away from... It Paraguay. was 0-2 in any case. <laughs> um, and this week, week... Right, so last weekend, Mystic Sound went for an awful lot of draws. And there wasn't that many draws, actually. And there didn't turn out to be that many draws, no. Uh, last weekend, I predicted Lanús versus Samiento to finish in a draw, and Lanús won it. I predicted Estudiantes versus Unión to finish in a draw, and Estudiantes won. I predicted Chicago Quilmes to finish in a draw, and Chicago won. I predicted San Martín versus Arsenal to finish in a draw, and, wait for it, San Martín won. Um, I predicted Defensa Justicia to beat Godoy Cruz, and they drew. <laughs> 
Cologne against Gymnasia, our prediction and draw. Cologne won. Temple versus Argentinos, our prediction and draw. And wait for it. Yes, it was a draw, so that's one. We're a one. Olimpo against Banfield, our prediction and draw. Banfield won. Um, Independiente to beat Vélez, I got correct. River to beat Newells, that went disastrously wrong. Newells won. Uh, Oracan to lose to Belgrano, it finished in a draw. I'm not really sure why I predicted that, given that we knew that a draw would suit both teams. Uh, San Lorenzo to beat Atletico de Rafaela, I got that one right. Central to beat Boca, I got that right. Tigre to lose at home to Racing. Uh, Dan, did I get that right? No, didn't. I didn't. It was a draw. Um, and obviously, Aldo Civi to beat Crucero del Norte was the one freebie of the weekend. <laughs> it's impossible to get that one wrong. So I got six out of 15. I think week. you added an extra um, one on your, on your finger counting. I don't think I did, Peter. I'm going to stick with six. <laughs> I realise we had mentioned as well the shameful scenes in Independiente's win with that penalty where it hit the defender. It was a clear in penalty. What are you talking about? It, it hit, hit the, the defender in the face. It did not. It it him in, he, he was holding it his hand blood. from... There was blood pouring yes. from his nose. Because... And they gave a penalty. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Come on. Because he was holding his hands in front of his face and it hit him in the hand, which made him punch himself in the face, effectively. They showed it very clearly on the replay. I saw it the replay like six times and I never saw him punch himself in the face. Declare an interest. In an entirely unrelated... It's sort of like the bully in the playground saying, stop hitting yourself, stop en- hitting yourself. Entirely unrelated, Dan happens to be a wrestling fan. So you have to... Well, I'd also... the ball break your nose, that's it. It's also a game which really meant very little. I was happy. I, I, I put in the but, pools that... Independiente when we're going to win but Independiente's place was already guaranteed I think no? I mean it didn't yeah. change their position and, no no I, and Vélez it didn't no because they, they've, they've not even got home advantage as a result have they so yeah they have oh they have sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It might have no but they were always going to finish fifth so they were going to finish they were going to play at home yeah. to whoever finished I mean having predicted an Independiente win I was happy about it as well <laughs> but when it first happened I thought that's ridiculous the guy's nose is streaming with blood and then they showed the replays and it became entirely clear that actually that's a very good call from the referee. Mm. Um, anyway, I mean, even I even as an Independiente fan, I wasn't. It was generous. I wouldn't have been. That see the, the ball coming into his face and not covering it with his hands. Yeah. It's, it's, it takes nerves of steel to just keep yeah, your hands yeah. like this while the ball's coming. Had it face. been at the other end, for example, I think my attitude would have been very different. <laughs> yeah. The fact that it takes nerves of steel not to do it doesn't change the fact that it was a penalty. But in any case, it's entirely fitting that this has happened right at the end of the podcast because this happened right at the end of the match as well, this incident. Um, and now, Mystic Sam's predictions for the World Cup qualifiers for Argentina to come are that tomorrow's night, uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night's match, is going to be a draw. And it wouldn't entirely surprise me if Colombia v Argentina is a draw as well because Colombia haven't started especially well themselves. Um, on that note, we're all now off to eat vast quantities of meat and possibly drink a bit more wine. Um, so thank you very much to listening for listening to us. Um, it's very difficult to get the words out when you've had this amount of wine. Um, and two different varieties as well. Thank you very much to the Argentina Independent for providing that wine and for making my end of podcast speech entirely incoherent. Um, they're a wonderful source of English language news, current affairs stuff, uh, photo essays, cultural bits and pieces and whatnot from Argentina and across the rest of Latin America as well and they're free of charge, you can read them on argentinaindependent.com or listen to them, listen to them? No, follow them on Twitter, what am I talking about? On Argentina Indie, that's Argentina I-N-D-Y, you can listen to them basically here because we're the only podcast that they do um, and for now, thank you very much to all your listeners for listening to us for the last five years 
five years and still nobody has come up with anything better. So was it's it your long? own fault. Was this podcast that long? Five years? It, it really was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we've always previously recorded on our exact five-year anniversary. We're not doing that this year because um, Hand of Pod's five-year anniversary happens to be my five-year anniversary with my girlfriend. Um, so I've decided to give myself the luxury of taking her out for dinner on Friday. Um, so thank you very much to her. She's sitting in the next room for putting up with this for five years. Um, and thank you very much this evening to our guests, who were Andres Bruckner. Thank you. Bye. English Down. Thank you. Also known as Dan Edwards. Um, <laughs> Peter, Peter Quates. Thank you. And Tim Vickery. Thank you very much. I think the lesson from, from the Mystic Sam thing is... Always make your predictions after the event. For example, Definitely. I predict that Funes Mori will make a very good start with Everton. There we go. Excellent. That's an exclusive. That's another pod exclusive. And we'll see you again soon for episode 387. Look forward if to it. If you stick to your current uh, pattern. Um, thank you very much indeed to everybody from me and good night. Mm-hmm.